up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Good to have you here today. We're looking forward to a good time in the Word of God this morning. Good singing, good music, good, just good everything. We appreciate all that God gives us here. And we do have fun. We just enjoy the Bible. We don't have any, we don't have any hidden agenda whatsoever other than just teaching the Word of God and laying out the Bible as God needed to be laid out. But, you know, we have been talking about here, once we finished our study on how to build a church, we have been talking here the last couple of weeks about how to build a relationship with the Lord. We've got so many young couples and uh, so many uh, people that uh, really are right there where they really want to uh, find how to build the right kind of relationship with the Lord. Uh, there's a lot of people today that are just seeking to find out if, if God's Word is what it claims to be. There's a lot of people that are just looking for some answers today, and, and uh, you know, the Bible has those answers, and our job as a church is to try to answer that and to lay out the Word of God. So we have been talking about uh, how to build the right kind of relationship with the, Word, with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And, of course, one of the things you have to do... Oh, I forgot to say that the kids can go over there if they want to go. I didn't forgot to dismiss the kids. If you, want. you don't have to go, but, I mean, if you want to go. Who's in charge over there today? Okay, if you want to go... Knowing that Jan's in charge, they probably don't want to go. <laughs> I saw no. I saw him over there. He's got no. He's got a stack M16 rifles over there, and he's gonna do. He's gonna do close quarter drill with them. Well, Mindy's eyes lit up. She wants to get in it over there too, doesn't she? Huh? Well, anyway, if you want to stay, kids, you're welcome to stay. You know how to go. I'm not trying to push anybody anywhere, but I forgot to do that. So I'm just doing my job. Well, anyway, we have been talking about how to build a relationship. Uh, with the Lord Jesus and, and the Word of God. And we talked about having to define some things. And last time we talked, we talked, about, we talked about how the Bible goes together in a series of sevens. When God wrote the Bible, God wrote it in a way that, uh, that uh, anybody could figure it out. And it's a, it's, a, it's a number system. And the number seven in the Bible is the number of completion. When God does something in the Bible, He'll always do it by sevens. And you'll find, and we gave you a whole list of them last time, we talked about the fact that there were seven mysteries in the Bible. We talked about the fact that there's seven resurrections, seven, seven natural laws, seven changes to this earth, and we talked about the fact that there's seven judgments. And I told you that three of those judgments fit into the Christian life. And we talked about starting to define that. How that at the cross of Calvary, you were defined by God as a sinner. When Christ died on the cross, there was no question about it. Uh, his death on the cross made every man, woman, and child uh, above the age of accountability uh, a sinner that needed a Savior. So when you got saved, God no longer looks at you as a sinner. God now looks at you as His Son. And we talked about the aspect of, this, of a three judgments for a child of God. Sinner, Son, and Servant. At Calvary's cross, you and I were judged a guilty sinner. The moment you and I trust Christ as your own personal Savior, you're no longer a sinner in God's sight, even though you still don't do things right, but now you're God's child. We talked about it last week in great detail. We talked about how that once you get saved, now you are God's son. God never looks at you as a sinner again from that point on. He looks at you as His child. And the question is not, are you a sinner or not? The question is, are you an obedient child or are you a disobedient child? And so at Calvary's cross... You are judged as a sinner. When you get saved and you live your life on this earth, God judges you as a son. That's judgment number two. But there's coming a time when God is going to judge you as a servant. Sinner, son, and servant. Sinner, son, and servant. Sinner, very easy to understand and remember. Sinner, son, and servant. You and I were judged as a guilty sinner at the cross of Calvary. The moment you and I trust Christ as our own personal Savior and we go through our Christian life, God never judges us as a sinner. God judges us as a son. I didn't say that God didn't judge your sin and deal with your daily disobedience. I said God looks at you now not as a sinner, but as His son. But there's coming a day when we will be judged in the third judgment to the Christian and that will be judged as a servant. Sinner, son, and servant. That judgment will be the last one, and that is where we're going to focus our uh, attention today, and we're going to look at it, because certainly it's the most important doctrine uh, for the Christian in all the Bible. And I've, I've, I've observed Christianity over the years, and I've watched how it has degenerated. 
I watch how it has got Laodicean. It's got to the place where it's lost its punch. And I can trace it back, and I believe that a lot of what we're seeing today in Christianity that has nothing to do with the Bible, has nothing to do with God. It's all tradition. It has to do with the way we've done it for a thousand years. This is the way the church has been, and, you know, we're not going to change, and and we, we have these traditions, and they have nothing to do with God. They have nothing to do with the Bible. I believe that the church has lost sight of some things. And I want to talk to you about the judgment seat of Christ today. Now, I must confess to you that most preachers, when they preach to their people about the judgment seat of Christ, it is a, it is a clubbing. It is a tool that a lot of preachers use to, to intimidate their people. It is a, a message that a lot of people use to really um, beat their people up. That is not my purpose today. I'm not saying there isn't a time when a church crowd doesn't need beat up and they don't need to preach too hard. But my, my goal today is to, is to just help you understand this. My goal today is help you to see the three judgments and how they uh, approach your life. Because the judgment at Calvary is very important to understand that at that judgment, you were judged as a sinner. And it is very important to understand and see that the moment you got saved, God no longer looked at you as a sinner. God now looks at you as His Son. And the rest of your life, God deals with you as a father deals with his son. But there's coming a day when God is going to judge you and me, not as a sinner, that was at Calvary, not as a son, that is on this earth, but as a servant. And you and I are going to stand before God and give an account of what we did with the Lord Jesus Christ since we have been saved. Now, I wanted you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 because I want to talk to you about it, and this is one of the great places in the Bible. In fact, the church at Corinth was a church that was much like the church today. The church at Corinth, as many of you know, was a very worldly church. It had lost its perspective. It's doing a lot of spiritual things and a lot of Christian things, but it's far removed from the Bible and biblical principles. And Paul writes the book of 1 Corinthians, and in every chapter he deals with them on an issue that they have forgotten. He deals with them with, on an issue that they once knew, but they have lost their perspective on it, and they've got into this clouded, shrouded, mystic Christianity, much like we find today, where everybody's doing their own thing. And of course, that's not God's thing. So he writes the book of 1 Corinthians trying to get them back online doing what's right. They do. They respond. Therefore, he writes the book of 2 Corinthians and where he, he tries to uh, really deal with their sin in the first book, he tries to deal with their goodness and now that they want to do what's right in the second book. And it, it sets a great example for all of us because you're going to find people in your life that are just like the church at Corinth. And when they don't want to do what's right, you admonish them through the Word of God to do what's right. But the moment they want to do what's right, then you're obligated to help them do what's right and get to the point where uh, they can really have a working relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But in both books, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he makes a reference to the judgment seat of Christ. Clearly, the judgment seat of Christ is the number one uh, issue that you and I as a child of God need to understand. Now he says here in verse 9, and he says this, For we are laborers together, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man built upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire." Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple 
are ye, or ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are in vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, uh, whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, the word of life, or death of things present, or things to come, all are yours. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We ask you now, Father, to uh, be with us today. Give us the wisdom and the insight into the Word of God. Help us to uh, apply what we learn today and help us to grow that we can build that relationship with you. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For his sake we ask it. Amen. Now, without a doubt, uh, this is the most important doctrine for the Christian. There's two days in the Bible. Two days that you need to mark in your Bible. Two days. These days are very important because they define something. And that's what we're doing right now. What we're doing in our study is we're defining things. We already talked about the one when we came through the gates back there in Nehemiah. We talked about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the second coming of Christ. The day of the Lord is the day that the Lord God comes back and sits down on the throne in Jerusalem and is crowned King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's on your chart. If you look on your chart, there toward at the end of the tribulation period. That's the day of the Lord. But there's another day in the Bible. And that day is called the day of Jesus Christ. Two days. One is called the day of the Lord. The other one is called the day of Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord is the day that the Lord comes back and He establishes His kingdom with the nation of Israel. The day of, Je the day of Christ is the day that Christ comes back and gathers His church together, us. So the greatest day for us as a child of God is the day that Christ comes back, that we're looking for Him, that we're looking for Jesus Christ to come and take us out of here, that we can spend an eternity with Him. That's what it's all about. And when you understand the three judgments, sinner, son, and servant, you must then also realize that the thing that we as the church must be looking forward to is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, when Paul wrote to the book, uh, church at Corinth the second time, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 through 11, he said that we are all going to stand and appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he calls it the terror of the Lord. And he says that, uh, that we're going to receive the things that are done in our bodies. Now, let me just say this to you. God has a plan. Now, it's on your chart. We talked about it the other night. God has a plan. God's plan is from Genesis to Revelation. God has a plan. You and I are part of that plan. When you go back and look at the Old Testament nation of Israel, you see that Israel was part of the plan in the Old Testament. The church, you and I, are part of the plan in the New Testament. It's no accident that you were saved when you were saved. It's no accident that God died for you and wants to save you if you're not saved. It's no accident that you were born in the year you were born in, in the country you were born in. God has something He wants you to accomplish. Now, the successful Christian is not somebody who gets saved, gets a job, makes lots of money, has lots of kids, and has all the nice things in life. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that's not how God judges success. The successful Christian in God's viewpoint is the man or the woman who figures out, after they're saved, what God wants them to do with their life and then dedicates their life, and without everything else that they do, to fulfill that. Because at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says that every man and every woman is simply rewarded for being a servant. Serving God. Serving God. What does that mean? Boy, that's a term we hear a lot about today. Boy, that's almost every preacher uses that probably four or five times in his sermon. About serving God. Serving God. What does that mean? Does that mean you come to church? To some people, that's the definition of serving God. Does that mean when you serve God that you give money? That's what some people think it is. Other people think it's doing this or doing that. I'm serving God. I'm serving God. I, I hear it all the time. Well, I'm serving the Lord. Well, that's fine. But what does that mean? Do we understand today, from the Bible standpoint, what it means for you and for me as a saved person? To serve God. It's simple. 
It's not complex. It's very easy. Serving God simply means, by Bible definition, that you find out what God is doing, you find out where you're at in this world in relationship to what God is doing, and then you do everything in your power to go along and help that program of God understanding what that entails in your life. Now, you don't, you don't find that out overnight. And I must confess that there, we've got people in here this morning that, that, are, are, that are, are young Christians. We've got some that have been saved for years and years and years, and you understand all of this. We have a lot of other people who are trying to learn it. You're trying to sort it all out, and that's why my job is to define it for you as cleanly as I can, that you go away, every time we meet teaching the Bible, you go away saying, I understand something better now than I understood before. And today, the bottom line is, if I can just get you to understand what it means to serve God, what it means to serve God, and how that you and I, as a child of God, have to have the concept of the judgment seat of Christ in our lives to keep us honest. Because there is a day. It's a lot like this. If you ever spend any time in the military, whether you're in the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, or the Marines, or the Navy, whatever, you know that you got, you got liberty. In the Navy, they call it liberty. In the Army, the Air Force, where the guys they call it, they call it leave. You're, you're in a base someplace, and you get a weekend pass, and you get to go out, but you got to come back. And when you come back, if you did anything wrong while you're out there, it catches up with you when you come back. If you got arrested, if the shore patrol picked you up, the MPs got you, if you got in a fight, in a brawl, tore up a bar, whatever the case, when you got back to base, you had to give an account of your liberty. What did you do while you were out there on liberty, on leave, on your weekend pass? Same way with a Christian. Right now, if you're saved, you're a child of God. And you're in this world, but you're not of this world. And God has given you a mission to do. God has given you something that He wants you to accomplish. And your job is to go through the Word of God systematically, learn everything you can about the Bible, and in the process, God will show you clearly. Because God has a plan. And it doesn't make any difference if the world doesn't believe that. It doesn't make any difference if you can pick up a thousand different books to, uh, uh, to, that goes against what the Bible says. The Bible says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will never pass away. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. So it's one of those things where God's right on schedule. And, uh, it's in, and God wants you part of that program. Your job and my job is to find out what that is. Your job and my job is to find out how we do that. In fact, if you come down here through 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you, you begin to see it. Look at verse 9. He says this. He says, for we are laborers together with God. We're laborers together. That means that God has put us together to do a job. That means that it's not just as important important that you were born in America whenever you were born in Kansas City or wherever, but you're here today uh, in Kansas City. It's also relevant to the fact that you're here. God has put us together and will continue to bring people to us who will want to see this, will, will want to raise their families right, will want to have strong marriages, will want to have good family relations with their kids, that want good values, and as they build into that, they'll see the bigger picture of all this and they say, hey, you know what? I want to, there's two buses out there, one the devil's driving and one God's driving. I want to get on God's bus. I want to go the way he's going. And you and I need to understand that just as any GI gives an account of his liberty when he gets back, at the judgment seat of Christ, you and I, as, as a child of God, will give an account of what we did with our liberty while we were here on planet Earth. And the Bible says, first of all, that we are labors together. With God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Now, two phrases there. God's husbandry. That, a husbandry is not somebody who's married. That's somebody that <coughs> takes care. Uh, in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, a husbandman was somebody who dressed the vineyard. It was somebody who took care of the grape uh, yard, took care of this, took care of that. And they went out there and they took care of all those things. And the Bible says that you and I are a husbandman. We are to take care of something. And we are to take care of what God has given us. And we are, we are to take care of that. We are God's husbandry. And the Bible says you are God's building. 
Now, I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again because repetition is the price, uh, is the price of learning. And I've said it, uh, ten, and I'll keep on saying it until to to we all understand it, and it's, it's worth hearing again. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty profound to me, no matter how many times I hear it. It's simply this. The Bible says you're God's building. A little bit later on, it says you're God's temple. And we know in the Old Testament, God had a literal temple fixed in a literal part of this planet. And the Bible says that all the world came to that temple to worship. In the New Testament, it isn't that way. In the New Testament, your body, my body, once I'm saved, now this body is the temple. And where in the Old Testament the temple was fixed and it was a literal building and the whole world came to it, in the New Testament it's a spiritual building and I'm to take the temple to the whole world. That is what God's plan is. And God not only has a plan, God has a message. Because God is trying to accomplish something. And you and I must understand that we are God's husbandry, we are God's building. Verse 10, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. Let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Alright, the Bible says that we are to be a wise master builder. A wise master builder. He said, we laid, he said down there, there, he says, I have laid the foundation. Very frankly, <coughs> the foundation that is laid is Jesus Christ. He says down here, verse 11, no other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Translation. The day you got saved in your life, you laid a foundation. <coughs> that foundation is Jesus Christ. He's called the rock in the Bible. He's the bedrock. He's the chief cornerstone. Why do you think that Christ keeps being portrayed in the Bible as, as a building component? He's called the foundation. He's called the chief cornerstone. He's called the rock. He's called the foundation. He's called all of these things that have to do with building. And the reason He is is because that you and I are to build something on that foundation. Now, when you look at people, Christian people, you see different people. You see men, you see women. Tall, short. You see people with blonde hair, brown hair, blue hair, whatever. You see all kinds of things. But in reality, when you look at a bunch of saved people, you know what you really see? You see a bunch of buildings in different stages of completion. Some of you, you look like, you look like the Empire State Building. You're tall, you're strong. I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about spiritually. You're tall, you're strong, you know the Bible, you have a good foundation. There's nobody going to talk you out of what you believe. I mean, if you got hung up out there at the airport someplace, you know, or out there and somebody came to your door, you know, some cult group or whatever, I mean, uh, nobody's going to shake you in what you believe. Your, your roots are down, you build upon the foundation, you're strong, you're tall, and you've got all the things that you need to, to make your family exactly what God wants it to be and to make your own personal life strong for the Lord. Some of you are halfway up. Some of you got the foundation laid. Some of you got the place where you got the walls up. Some of you got the windows in. Some of you got the plumbing in. You're in your building, but you're not to the place where uh, you're complete, you're finished. Some of you have just laid the foundation. You just got saved. You've just come to the point where you're trying to figure all this out. And I don't know where you're at, but I do know this. Everybody today that is saved is in some stage of spiritual building. The Bible says you're to be a wise master builder. Wise being, understand that there are some things that will help you and some things that will hurt you. A wise master builder. I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. He says, pay attention how you build on this foundation. There are some things you have to put down on the foundation after you get saved. <clears throat> and he says, do it as a wise master builder. Do it as somebody who understands what they're doing. Now he says in verse 12, <clears throat> Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, 
Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now look at verse 12 and 13. He says, upon this foundation, you can build three things. Three things are good, three things are bad. The first three are gold, silver, precious stones. The last three are wood, hay, and stubble. And he says down there that the uh, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Now the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment that doesn't deal, and I want you to understand this, because a lot of people get screwed up on this. A lot of people, they, 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 they think that as a judgment seat of Christ, God is going to beat them up because they had some sin in their life that they struggled with. That they think that the judgment seat of Christ, that God is going to, you know, they're going to lose rewards because of the fact that they, they got out of fellowship with God, or they, 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 did, they did this, or they had some sin in their life that, you know, that uh, they struggled with, or something that they did in their life, you know. And let me tell you something. The judgment seat of Christ is not about that. God takes care of those things on this earth as He judges you as a son. You either confess it when you screw up and get it right, or God comes down and puts His arm around you and says, let's go to the woodshed. And God deals with you in that manner. At the judgment seat of Christ, God is not going to deal with you on sin in your daily life. It's going to be, it was paid for at Calvary. It needs to be judged every day in your life when you do it. But at the judgment seat of Christ, it's very clear that something else is the issue here. And that is the motive. You know how good God is? Now this is, I'm going to tell this to you young Christians, because I love you, and I want you to hear this. Let me tell you how good God is. I'm 53 years old. Some of you are older than me. Steve Brackeen's in his 70s back there. He's, 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 our, he's, our, he's our elder statesman back there. But you know, and Jan, he's pushing 90, but he's doing okay. But let me tell you something. We've served God a long time. We've, we've hung in there for a long time. And uh, everybody has their ups and downs. But let me just tell you something. It's, it's a fight. It's a fight. But you know what the real key to the judgment seat of Christ? Now, I'm going to give you something that's worth a million dollars. A million dollars. This is worth a million dollars. You know what the key to the judgment seat of Christ is? It's simple. It's your attitude of heart. Let me explain that. We're having church this morning. I give an invitation. Somebody in the back there in the front here, somebody says, I need to get saved. Or maybe it's Thursday night Bible study. And I give the invitation. Somebody says, I want to get saved. One of the guys take them out or one of the gals, whatever, whoever, and you show them through the Word of God and that person asks Christ to come into the heart and save them. And right then, they say to God in their heart, God, I want to do what's right and I want to give you the rest of my life. Now, if the rapture would come at that moment, bang, or that person would die, bang, you realize that as a judgment seat of Christ, God rewards you on the basis of your attitude of heart. And even though somebody, you died right then and the Lord came, somebody would say, and I've heard him say this, well, you know what, I, I just want, I just want, I just got saved and I think the Lord's coming back, you know, and I just want to have some time to really do something for him. Well, I can appreciate that and that's good, but you know what, you may not have the time. Well, you, somebody would say, well, that isn't really fair. I don't have time to do anything to get any rewards for the Lord. Hey, let me tell you something. It isn't about doing anything that gets you rewards for the Lord. It's about what you got in here. And if you got saved right now and got up and said, I want to do what's right with God and I want to serve Him, and the rapture came, God would have to give you every reward in heaven that he would have given you if you'd have lived your life the whole time and went to the end for the next 60 years and served God. You know why? Because it isn't based on what you do. It's based on what you, what you say in here. You know how I know that? You know what David said? David said, I want to build the house for the Lord. God says, you can't build it, David. Your son's going to build it. But you know what? Because it was in your heart to do it. I'm going to bless you for it. 
And I'm telling you, your attitude of heart is the key. Your attitude of heart, and that's why, no matter what, you've got to keep the attitude of heart with God right where it needs to be. That's what the judgment seat of Christ is about. It isn't about what you did. It isn't about how many beers you drank or how many this or how many that. It is about when you got saved, your attitude of heart was such that God... I, I know I fail you, and I know I'm miserable, and I don't do what's right, but deep down inside of my heart, I love you more than anything else in the world. I love that book, and I want to do what's right every day of my life. Attitude of heart. Attitude of heart. That's the key. That's the key. And, and that's what it means to build a relationship with God. That's what the judgment seat of Christ is about. It's about what he says down here. He says, every man's work shall be made manifest. God's going to manifest. And look what he says. For the day shall declare it. It shall be revealed by fire. 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 What does fire do? Fire tries things. He says, gold and silver. You know what happens when they get in the fire? They only get pure. Something is going to be made manifest. Something is going to be declared. And it's going to be revealed by fire. And the fire is going to try every man's work. Try it. Try it. And then he says, he says, of what sort it is. You know what he's going to do? He's going to sort everything out. He's not going to ask you at the judgment seat of Christ what you did or what you didn't do. He's simply going to ask, why did you do what you did? He's not going to ask you how many people you won to Christ in your lifetime. Well, there's guys today, honest to goodness, take my word for it. There are men and women today that win hundreds of people to Christ. And when they get to the judgment seat of Christ, they're going to lose everything. You know why? Because they're doing it to be seen now. They're doing it to be impressive now. They're doing it so they can impress somebody now. Hey, God is not going to ask you how many people you won to Christ. He's going to ask you, why did you win people to Christ? What was the motive in your heart? Why did you do that? Did you do it because you were doing, you wanted to be seen? Did you do it because it was a program? Or did you do it because you understood and you loved me? people say, well, you know what? I'm reading, I'm going to read the Bible and study the Bible because I want to get rewards of the judgment seat of Christ. Well, let me tell you something. I'm just going to be honest with you. You'd find a hard time to find somebody in the world that's read the Bible more than I have. There was a time in my life when I read through the Bible every 30 days. Somebody says, man, I want to be like him. Somebody says, oh, that's great. And I've seen him say, and I, I, and then people get up and say, well, you know what? Come and hear this man preach. This man reads through the Bible every 30 days. Tell us, brother, uh, what did that do for you? Maybe the biggest mess ever was in my life. You mean reading the Bible can screw you up? You bet it can. You know what? If you read through the Bible every 30 days, you've got to read 60 chapters a day. 60. That's not, I'm not lisping and saying six, I'm saying 60. Six zero. 60. 60. And I, and I thought, whoa, I want to learn the Bible. I want to know everything about the Bible. I want to, I want to get the Bible down. I, I, I used to try, and I used to try everything in my life. I had somebody heard somebody say one time, you know what? If you put a tape on when you go to sleep, that you will automatically remember everything on the tape. How many ever heard that? You bust have bought the same book that I bought. And I was young. And I wanted to learn the Bible, and I was stupid. So I don't know how many nights I went to bed putting, I thought, well, you know what? If I just, I'm going to take this tape, this tape is, is Alexander Scobie reading the Bible, and I'm going to, this, I, I, wow, I can, I sleep eight hours, I'll fix this thing up, that I get eight hours, and I will know everything in my, everything that's on that tape, I will get up in the morning and I'll just, I'll have it in there. Well, obviously it didn't work. I had some of the weirdest nightmares I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I was single then. I mean, I was just living by myself, you know, I was my, my dog, you know, and I, 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 never, I, I never did get anything out of it. I, but my dog was the greatest Bible scholar the world has ever seen. 
<laughs> I couldn't get it. He could quote scripture. He was smart. I'd say, what's on, the, what's on the top of the house? Roof. He had it, man. I'd say, what's on the tree? Bark. He had it. He got some, but didn't help me any. So then I got this idea. I heard a guy say one time, and he read through the Bible over 33 days. And I thought, well, that's for me. That's what I got to do. 60 chapters a day. 60 chapters a day. 60 now, come on, man. I mean, uh, you get up in the morning, you know, and you're bleary-eyed, and you give God maybe half a verse, or you, you, really, you really tell God this verse really means something to me, and I'm going to just gonna read this verse today because, I, because it's short. You know, okay, Lord. And, uh, you know, 60 chapters. 60. You know what kind of pressure that puts on you to get through? The, you know what I wound up doing? I wound up judging my spirituality on whether I got my 60 chapters in a day or not. If I got my fifty chapters, I got my sixty chapters in. It was a good day. If I didn't, it was a bad day. And I wound up coming through that thing where I, 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 I lost the perspective. And what I did is I got to the point where I thought that my spirituality was based on how many times I went through the Bible. And then I learned a great lesson, and this lesson was worth the lesson going through and what I had to learn. You know what I learned? I learned it wasn't how many times I went through the Bible but rather how many times the Bible went through me. And I realized it wasn't about 60 chapters a day. It was about, is the Word of God real in my heart? It wasn't about, I want to spend the rest of my life just reading the Bible 24 hours a day. It was, that's what I want to do in my heart. I want to know the Bible. And God said, you know what? I'm not asking you to jump through some mechanical hoop. I'm just asking you to have in your heart what you want. And when you do what needs to be done, he said to the judgment seat of Christ, we'll sort it all out. It won't be, Bob, how many times did you read through the Bible? It'll be simply, Bob, why did you even read it? Why did you read it? It won't be, how many people did you bring to church? It'll be, why did you bother bringing them? It won't be, how did you raise your kids? It'll be, why did you raise them the way that you did? Every man's work shall be made manifest, the Bible says, for the day shall declare it, because you shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall, uh, shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Here it comes. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned... There's the wood, hay, and stubble. He shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by the fire. Now, you see there, that verse simply says that a guy can lose everything at the judgment seat of Christ. It goes up in fire. He builds, he lays a foundation. He builds upon it wood, hay, and stubble. And it, it all explodes, and it's all gone. And he loses everything, and he loses reward. But the Bible says he's still saved, yet so as by the fire. Eternal security. Know ye not, here it comes, know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, uh, 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 him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple are ye? Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He hath taken the wise in their own craftiness. You know what he simply says? He simply says this. He says, the day you got saved, you laid a foundation in your life. That foundation is Christ. And the rest of your Christian life, you are going to build three things on that foundation. Three good, three bad. You're not going to build half good and half bad. I always thought that was interesting. You can't go halfway with God. It's either gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. It ain't no mixture of the two. Well, I got some gold, I got some hay. No, God doesn't work that way. We think that way. We think that way. We think there's little sins and big sins. We think, well, we're kind of out of fellowship with God today, but I'm not really in fellowship with God today. I'm just kind of out. No, 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 no. There ain't no kind of out. You're either in or you're out. There are no big sins. It isn't, well, I'm a, a, a big sin will separate you from God, but, you know, a little sin won't. No, all sin is sin in God's sight. That is the idea, understanding that we are, we need to be holy, we need to do what's right, we need to learn the things that God loves, make those our things, hate the things that God hates, and, and, and stay away from them, and when they get into our lives, we forsake them and we say, God, I'm sorry, I did that, I thought that, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have thought that, please, Father, forgive me, and at that point, sin is resolved, it's confession is made, it's done. 
You didn't get re-saved. You just got back into the fellowship. Sinner took place at the cross. Now you're a son. But at the judgment seat of Christ, it isn't a mixed match deal. It isn't, well, I got 50% hay, 50% gold, silver, precious stone. No, no, no. It's one or the other because it doesn't come down to what you do. Now, you see, if it was what you did, if it was based on what you did, then you'd get there and you'd say, well, I ain't too bad. I got, uh, let's see, 6,000 pounds of gold, 4,000 pounds of silver, and a whole bucket of precious stones. And then we got, uh, how many trucks is that of hay back there? We got hay, we got some stubble, and we got some of this stuff over here. Well, that ain't too bad. Doesn't work that way. Now, see, if it was things you did, it would work that way. Because the gold, it represents something. The silver, oh, it represents something. The precious stones, it represents something. The wood, hay, and stubble, it represents something. So if it was what you did, you'd get a little bit of all, and you could have kind of like a Christian smorgasbord mix and match. But it ain't going to work that way. The gentleman's seat of Christ. It's either gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. You know why? Because it's based on attitude. And with attitude, this rhymes, I like it. With attitude, there is no latitude. Attitude is one way or the other. You know, you can't have a halfway attitude. I mean, we think we can. You say, well, you know, what do you think? I don't really think nothing. That's dumb. You ever listen to ourselves talk sometimes? My wife and I get in this internal argument about when it's time to go out to eat. Oh, Jimmy does too. <laughs> and I love my wife. She's my best buddy. Now, you know, in all the years we've been married, we've been married, what, 35 years now? 30 years? 30, 30 years. Put a lot of overtime. <laughs> in all those years, we've never, we never once ever discussed divorce. Murder, a couple of times, but never divorce. <laughs> but it's like all marriages. We have a great relationship. We have fun, and I know we, it's, it's, it's time to go out to eat, and, and you know. And I said, "Where do you want to go?" She says, "I don't care." And I said, "Well, let's go here." Well, I don't want to go there. Well, then, darling, you do care. No, I don't care. Well, let's go here. No, I'm just not hungry for that. Well, what are you hungry for? I don't know. Well, let's go get a hamburger. Well, I'm not hungry for a hamburger. Well, then you do know what you're hungry for. Oh, man, if I touched on a... I thought I was the only one in the world who had this problem. <laughs> so somebody says, he said, what do you think? Oh, I don't really think anything. Really? <laughs> Have there ever been a time in anybody's life when you really didn't think anything? <laughs> we kid ourselves into thinking that. Sure you think something. You just don't want to say it. Somebody says, well, what are you going to do about that? Oh, I don't know. Sure you know. What do you mean you don't know? You know. You just don't want to deal with it right now. But human beings are funny, man. I just, I enjoy it. I mean, you know, the funnest time, we don't, my wife, we don't have to go to the movies. We don't have to spend a lot of money going out shopping. We can just ride around and we spend, have fun the whole night deciding where we're going to eat and, and talking back and forth. Cheap. But we're so funny. That's the way we are, you see. We think, that there is, a, there is a middle ground. There really isn't. There really isn't. In our human little minds, we like to have one. So somebody says, what do you think? Oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? Oh, I don't care. You always know and you always care. You may, not, you may be in a lackadaisical attitude where you're not really thinking about it, but all it takes is somebody to say something at least you don't want to go, and now suddenly you care. It's the way we are. You know what? Jim Christ the same way. It's either... Gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. It's as simple as that. There's no middle ground with a thing. As I said, if it was something that you did, if it was works, then you could have a mix of match. But you see, you can't. Wood, that's a dead tree. Hay, that's a dead grass. Stubble, that's dead wheat. Dead things for dead Christians. You don't mix dead things and live things with God. God says, you're either in fellowship with me or you're out of fellowship with it. You're not kind out. You're not, well, I'm just kind of not with the Lord today. I'm just kind of, you know, have, I'm not, you know, you're either in or you are out. Why well, didn't sin anything big? Sin is sin. Well, I don't know. Sure you know. I don't care. Absolutely you care. 
And when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, now I don't care about you and your wife going out there and doing that. That's, that's temporal. That's fine. But when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, understand this. It will be gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. And it isn't based on anything that you do. It's based on your attitude of heart, what you've got in your heart right now that you want to do for God. It doesn't take into consideration what you know or what you don't know. It's like I've heard all my life. The judgment seat of Christ is not going to be about what you did know or what you didn't know. It's going to be about what you could have found out but didn't. That's attitude. And he's going to sort it out. He's going to let the fire come down. And when the fire hits the wood, it's gone. The hay, it's gone. The stubble, it's gone. But when it hits the gold and the silver, it just purifies it. It just purifies it. Now, I have taken, this is the second week, and we've got another week in it, because next week I'm going to talk to you about the gold, silver, precious stones. Now that we've laid the foundation and we understand the concept, now we're going to go in and define it. But I want to leave you with this. Here's where God's people is at. Number one, the judgment seat of Christ is the most important doctrine anywhere in the Bible. For the child of God. Absolutely. Because it's going to come a day where your millennial rewards are based on it. And the Bible simply says this. When you got saved. Here. Go back one step further. Sinner. At the judgment. At 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 Calvary's cross. You and I were judged as the guilty sinner. Lost without hope without Christ. There came a time in your life when you saw your need. To trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. And you put your faith and trust in Him. At that point. You become His son. Sinner. Son. And right now on this planet, God deals with you with the Son. You don't do what's right, God will bring you to church. Somebody will preach. The Holy Spirit of God will tap you on the shoulder and say, you need to get that right. You'll say, nah, I don't need to get it right. Or you'll say, yeah, Lord, I need to get it right. I'm sorry. You go through life every day just like that. When you confess it, He forgives you. And it's clean. The slate's clean. You stay clean. You stay right. Because it's in here. But there's coming a day when you're going to stand before God that God's not going to judge you for... All your sin at Calvary, paid for at Calvary. God's not going to judge you for your sins every day, paid for as a son. But God is going to judge you from the aspect of your servant. And a servant does what he does based on his attitude of heart. And God's going to sort it out. He's going to, he's going to manifest it. The day's going to declare it. And God's going to lay that thing out, the day of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that more next week too. He's going to lay that thing out and it's going to be revealed of what was the motive behind what you did. Not, did you read your Bible? Why did you read your Bible? Not, did you win people to Christ? Why did you win them to Christ? Not, did you do this? Why did you do this? The Bible says it's the terror of the Lord. We're going to talk about that next week too. But I see this. One of the things that I I worry about more than anything else with young Christians is growing up in the world of Christianity that we're in and not getting things defined the way that it should. I work harder on that than anything else. Because here's what's happened. God's people, just like me with the Bible, just like me in the little illustrations I gave you, how I, I did things, you know, you all do them for the wrong motive, and you either learn from them or you turn from them, one or the other. And I, and I learned, I learned, I learned, and I did this, and I said, that isn't going to work. And I, it all came down to me, to the attitude of heart, and I saw some things, and I look at Christianity, look at God's people, they have lost sight of some things. And that's what we're going to talk about. That Bible says, you build upon that foundation gold, silver, precious stones. I'm going to give you three things that go with that next week. We're going to jump in with both feet and we're going to define them. You know what God's people have lost sight of? God's people have lost sight as Christians. God's people have lost sight today of the cause. We don't even know why we're here today. We don't know why we do what we do. We read our Bible, but we don't even know why we read our Bible other than to learn some things. We don't, we've lost the cause. We've lost sight of the cause. We go to church. Why? Well, because we're supposed to. That's not an answer. Why? We've lost sight of the cause. I'll tell you the second thing God's people have lost sight of. They've lost sight of the cost. We don't understand today, and this is why Christianity today is so cheap for us, because we've lost sight of the cost. We don't understand what it costs God to save us. We don't understand. God's people have lost sight of the cause. God's people lost sight of the cost. And God's people have lost sight of the consequences. The judgment seat of Christ. We do not know today that someday we are going to stand before God and give an account. 
My job is not to beat you over the head. My goodness, I would never do that to you. We're in this together. The Bible says we are laborers together. It isn't me up here as the fat pastor who, who, who overlooks the flock. It's me down here as one of you. It's me and you in this together. Labors together with God, the Bible says. I'm not going to beat you over the head over anything. I don't care what you do wrong. You'll never be a time when I get up and just rail on you for something you did wrong. You know what? I'm here to help you. And the bottom line is, you don't need to be clobbered with the judgment seat of Christ. What needs to be done is you need to be, have it defined for you so when you leave here, you understand a little bit more about what it's going to be. The Bible says it's the terror of the Lord, but it doesn't have to be for you. I mean, you know what? If it had to be something you had to do, if you had to give so much money, if you had to do so many things, if you had to talk to so many people to witness, if you had to go like you do at work and put in your spiritual time card on, on Monday and walk in there and you had a quota, like 50 chapters a day, or, or i got to witness that. I've known people to say, God, I promised God I'd win. I, I witnessed to 10 people today and I only got nine. I failed you, God. God says, get up for it, kick you. Where do you ever get those kind of parameters you got to do? I mean, if it was that, it'd be tough. I'm glad it's not any that way. I'm glad it just has to be in here. I'm glad I just have to love Him with all of my heart, with all of my mind, and all of my soul. And I'm going to teach you what that means next week, too. I'm going to show you how to do that. That's got to be the hardest thing in the world to do. No, it's the easiest thing in the world to do. I'll show you how to do it. I'll show you somebody in the Bible that's a great example. You can study to do it. I'm telling you. We're laborers together, but you need to be a wise master builder. And the foundation you lay is Jesus Christ. And the rest of your Christian life, I'm going to show you next week how to build gold, silver, and precious stones that you'll never have to worry about the wood, the hay, or the stubble. And it won't be a mixed match. It'll be one or the other. But there'll be no reason, there is no reason why any child of God can't get to the judgment seat of Christ and get everything that God has for him. It's not hard. It's just not defined anymore. And because it's not defined, God's people get all caught up in everything else in this Christian world. I mean, they're busy doing this, and they're doing that, and they're doing this, and they lose sight of the cause, they lose sight of the cause, and they lose cost, and they lose sight of the consequences. There's coming a day when we're going to stand before Him. God has His day. Christ has His day. God's day is for Israel. Christ's day for us. My job as your pastor is to give you everything I can to help you stand there. Labor together down here, stand together up there, all built around a book. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus. We love you so much. And we thank you for our time today. Pray you'll continue to bless us as we continue to study your word and come through, Father, and put all these things together. And Lord, help us today. Help us to leave here today, Father, no matter where we're at in our building process, no matter where we're at in our program of being with you, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be with you today and, and to open up this book. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For sake we ask it. Amen. <clears throat>